Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fan Zone, uh, the brand new debate league we have here at Multiplex Entertainment. I believe this is episode three at this point. Holy cow, this is already the third one of these. My goodness, we are uh, rocking and rolling. But we've got another great match here for you in our debut tournament today. Uh, we have got Brian Michaels versus Jacob west this is going to be an interesting one um i've actually i've never been on call with jacob before i don't know much about jacob uh but i do know a lot about brian i've been on call with brian many times hosted matches for brian uh, but i've never seen him debate so we'll see how this goes um let's introduce the judges uh caleb boatman hello welcome how are you are you excited i'm very excited uh, both of these competitors have been called my dad before uh, so uh, hopefully uh, they don't uh, go mid-match and go to the store and never come back. Yeah, that would be a big old yikes for me, dog. Uh, Douglas Castle, you are here once again. How are you? Are you excited for this match? I'm excited to see uh, the Caleb off. We're going to call it Highlander Part 1. Uh, there can only be one. Um, now I'm excited to see this match. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited. I've... I've seen Jacob debate before, but I've never seen, I've never seen uh, Brian debate. So it'll be a lot of fun to see Brian style. All right. Well, uh, let's get right into it and talk to our competitors. Let's first bring in Jacob. Jacob, hello, welcome to Fan Zone. Obviously, we are in a debut tournament, so this is your debut. Are you excited about playing today? How are you feeling about going up against Brian Michaels? I am excited. Um, and Caleb, do not worry. I have watched Forrest Gump so many times that I do not need to go buy it. Um, so I will not <laughs> desert you uh, like the other the other boatman father did. All right. Wow. All right. Okay. So uh, let's bring in Brian. Brian, how are you feeling today? Are you excited about this match? There's a lot this of is stuff taking here. a much tighter turn than I expected. Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening. But how are you <laughs> feeling before the match? Um, I'm feeling okay. You know, a little, a little bit nervous. Uh, debate's not usually my thing. I've only been involved in two debate matches ever, and that was often another league that I don't even know if it exists anymore. Um, but uh, I've always been a little intimidated by Nerdgasm because, you know, the depth of the questions in fandom, which is not my strong suit. But so you're trying this fan zone thing. I thought, you know what, let's give it another shot. Absolutely. Um, all right. So with that, we will explain the rules. This is how it is going to work. Uh, there are going to be four prep questions that the competitors have uh, drafted answers to. They are going to debate those questions. You will have a minute opening, five-minute free form, and a minute closing, uh, each competitor getting that minute uh, opening and closing. Uh, the first person to three wins the match. So if we do end up in a tie after the four uh, prep round questions, we will go to a speed round question. And let's get into it right away with question number one. And uh, a reminder as well, I will come in when you have 10 seconds left and give you the 10 second signal. Um, and then I will count you down at five during the free form, I will come in with a minute to let you know you guys have a minute left. Please try to keep a nice swing, 30 to 45 seconds to each person talking, then let your competitor talk. If you start to filibuster, I will come in and tell you to shush and let the next person go. Okay, so we will get started off right away with our first question, which is a war zone question in the category of coming of age slash team. And the question is, 
What 80s coming-of-age character would you want as a roommate? Uh, Brian, you drafted this question, so you get to go first. You have one minute whenever you start talking. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it. Isn't that the attitude you want to live by? Isn't that the attitude you want the people around you to live by, the friends that you spend most of your time with? Those were, of course, spoken by the one and only Ferris Bueller, who I think would make the best roommate. I mean, Ferris Bueller is a guy who's fun, uh, he's always interesting, never boring, and he's never going to let your life be boring. He's going to make sure you're living your life to the fullest by taking you out and dragging you to things and making you do things, not just sit at home and playing video games and doing nothing. Um, on, on a practical standpoint, he can help you call in sick to work. He can help cover your tracks with girlfriends. Uh, he can get you out of trouble. He can con you into the coolest restaurants in town. I mean, come on, the dude's Abe Froman. What do you want to do? Um, he's a great friend. He's not selfish. He, he didn't do his day off for himself. He did it for Cameron. So this is the kind of guy that's going to take care of you. He's going to be a good friend to you. He's going to help you. But most of all, he's going to be fun to live with. And that's what you really want in a roommate. All right, time. Okay. So Ferris Bueller from Brian. Let's go over to Jacob. Jacob, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. All right. So for the greatest roommate, really what you want is someone you're going to get along with that doesn't get you into trouble, but it will also go off and do their own thing. Uh, so the perfect roommate would be Gordy Lachance from Stand By Me. And specifically Richard Dreyfuss' character, he's a little bit older, um, a lot more knowledgeable, has seen a lot of stuff, but also he's a writer. He's going to be off doing his own thing, uh, writing, so he's not constantly bothering you of, hey, let's go do this, let's go do this. You know, he's going to let you do your thing, and whenever you're bored and you just want to talk to him, he can always just come up with amazing stories to entertain you. And this great thing about this is he's not just bringing you stuff. You can bring him stuff. Uh, with with Stand By Me, uh, he's going through the death of one of his best friends, and you can be there to console him for that. So not only is he there to entertain you, you are there to help him. So it's a, it's a double-sided relationship. It's benefit for both, as I like to say. Time. Okay. All right. So uh, we've got our picks. Five-minute freeform. Remember, no filibustering. I will come in at one minute to uh, let you guys know. Um, let's do it. All right. So, Brian, the biggest issue with Ferris Bueller, well, yes, you're going to have some fun with him. He is going to annoy the crap out of you. Literally, you're you're doing your own thing. You don't want to be messed with. Come on. We're going to go do this. And if, if you tell him no, he's going to drag you. And it's it's going to get old really quickly. It's not going to get old because that's what you want. You want to just – if you want to just sit around and do nothing with your whole life, that's fine. But this is a guy who's not going to let you get away with that. And it, I don't know about, he's not going to do it all the time because, yes, he's going to have his own life. He's off with Sloan Peterson doing who knows what or locked in his bedroom doing we know what. And But you're going to have time to do things by yourself. Uh, he's not getting you into trouble. He's getting you out of trouble. I mean, come on. This is the guy that, that's taking care of you. But Gordy, on the other hand, of all of your picks today, this was the most baffling to me. Gordy is the most depressing character in a coming-of-age movie you could have picked. Dude's obsessed with his brother's death. Uh, dude's a pussy. I mean, come on, he faints. He has leeches on him. I mean, is that the kind of person you uh, want? He had, a he had a leech on his penis. Um, I've never been in that situation. I don't think you've ever been in that situation. You'd probably do the same thing. And again, this was whenever he was a child. 
We're talking about grown, uh, grown Gordy. He, he's probably gotten over that. And again, you can help him get over that. And also the death of his best friend. You're so there to help him. He's there to help you. So your choice for a, a roommate from an 80s coming-of-age movie isn't necessarily the character from a coming-of-age movie. It was the voiceover. <laughs> I mean, the, the adult one's barely yeah, he's in, in it, too. And, and if your whole, and if your whole criteria it. for a good roommate is one who's gone half the time and doing his own thing and isn't going to bother you at all, why didn't you just pick Gordy's dead brother? Well, because, I mean, you want a roommate to help pay the bills and stuff like that. A dead brother is not going to be able to do that. Uh, Ferris won't be able to do that either because he's off doing random stuff. He's blowing his money, um, going to museums, going to restaurants. He's not going to have the money to help you pay the bills. Gordy is an accomplished writer. He's pretty rich. He's going to be there to help you out pay the bills. This is the problem is you're thinking of it in practical terms like, oh, who's going to pay my bills? Who's going to not be around? But a roommate should be more than just somebody who shares a house. It should be a friend. And Gordy's not going to be a good friend. The ending narration of Stand By Me, he said, I never had any friends like the ones I had when I was 12. So basically, you already know up front that you're not going to be considered much of a friend of this guy. Yes, he's an adult now, but he already knows that you're subpar before he even meets you. Because do you yes, really want to but, be compared to his old friends? I mean, that's like having a girlfriend say, oh, my last boyfriend, he had a bigger dick and he was better in bed. But see, the, the correct terminology is he hadn't had a, that good of a friend yet. Uh, because I can be there for him uh, to help him go through uh, all of his issues. Whenever he has writer's block, we can go do something. Whenever I'm having an issue, he can go, he can tell me a story. Uh, kind of like Fat Lard. Uh, something to to entertain me with, uh, with Ferris Bueller, he's going to be constantly telling you how boring you are because you're not doing anything. Then he's going to force you out of whatever you're doing. It's a really manipulative person. And let's be honest. Does he even exist? He's not telling you you're boring. If you're not boring, he's going to make sure that you aren't boring. No, uh, but if he's forcing you to do stuff, then you are kind of boring because you don't do it on your own. He's forcing you to do it. Yeah. But this, I mean, come on. It, it, it just seems to me that, that if I'm looking for a roommate, I want somebody who's actually going to make my life better, not just pay the bills. I mean, you're talking about, oh, he, he's a writer. If he is writer's block, I can help him. I mean, come on. It, it, there's not much life to that. That's just asking for your, for your life to be, to be boring. You might as well just lock yourself in a room with nobody. But again, I mean, I, I don't want my life dictated by someone else. Uh, I mean, he's going to be there for me when I need him, but I'm going to be able to do my own thing. He's a roommate. He's not a companion or he's not my life coach with Ferris Bueller. He is – he dictates your entire life. Only if you let him. You're not, you're not saying you have to let Ferris Bueller take over your life. You're just saying that Ferris is going to be there to help you if, if, if you need some excitement in your life. He's going to make sure it's there for you. If you get in trouble, he's going to help you get out of trouble. There's nothing that says you have to go with Ferris and everything he does. Uh, but whenever you try to, to get, get out with him, just like uh, – I want to say his name's Cameron. It's been a little bit since I've seen Ferris Bueller. Um, if you try to get out of it, he forces you into – he manipulates you into going with him. He, he did that in his movie, whereas with Gordy, he doesn't force you to do anything. He he's lets you do your own thing, but if you need someone there for you, he can be there for you. And if he wants to go off on an adventure, you can Was go he there him. for his friends? No. He moved off and became a writer, and he already – the friends he had when he was 12, one of them died in a bar fight. Another one just went off and lived his life, and where was he? He was off doing his own thing. But did they ever ask him for his help? No. I'd ask him for, for his help if I needed it, and he would be there for me because we're roommates. Time. Okay. 
Okay. All right. We are going to uh, Jacob. You are going to do your minute closing. One minute when you start talking. All right. Again, the best uh, pick for a roommate is going to be uh, Gordy Lachance. Um, Gordy Lachance. I'm sorry. Uh, just because, again, he, he's there to enhance your life, but he is not there to take over your life. There, there are times where I just want to sit down and play video games and just mind my own business. Gordy, he's a, he's going to see me playing video games. Okay, I'm going to go right. I'm going to go think of another story. With Ferris, uh, he's not going to do that. He's going to force me to get off of my couch. I didn't want to do that in the first place. He's going to force you into doing stuff you don't want to do. He's going to get you in trouble, not get you out of trouble. He's going to get you in so much more trouble than you can get in. Really, he'd ruin your life. With Gordy... He's just there to enhance it. Okay. So sacrificing about 15 seconds there. Brian, you now have a minute to close your argument when you start talking. If you want to spend your life, you want to spend your time being depressed by some mopey kid, go for it. Or even if it's the adult version still pining for, you know, his childhood and thinking about the past, you can. I'm going to pass. To be honest, if Gordy Lachance was my roommate, he might have another death on his conscience because I'm probably going to want to kill myself. Um, but when it's like a roommate, you're looking for someone not only to live with, but hopefully also be a friend. And you're spending a lot of time with this person. Do you want to spend that time uh, performing on a float in front of a Cheerian city? Or do you want to spend it comforting a crying roommate? Or maybe helping him with the writer's block? Would you rather go to a Cubs game or listen to him talk about and blather on about the Yankees cat that belonged to his dead brother? Do you want to hang out in a pool with bikini-wearing Mia Sarah, or pick leeches off your balls in a creek with Corey Feldman? Seems to me that's an easy choice. Brian ended when he did because I was about to come in and I would have been laughing. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> Alright, let's bring in the competitors. Oh my god. Alright, I'll start. Holy crap. So there was a lot said in this moment <laughs> that I don't know how to humanly process, but I'm going to try my best. Uh, I've actually, which I've been I've been made fun of many times. I've never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I've never seen Stand By Me. I've never seen either of these movies. So I don't know really anything about these characters. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding, I guess, of what these two characters are from what they said and based off of what they said, despite the... <laughs> insane amount of craziness that was said. I'm going to go with Brian, uh, because Brian painted a better picture of someone who would uh, 
be there for you, help you have fun, but also be there for you through the other times and did a very colorful and good way of portraying how Jacob's pick um, would more or less be more of a downer and more of a detriment to you. Um, and I thought that his hits were a lot stronger than Jacob's. I'm going to go with Brian Boatman. What about you? Well, I thought the that the weirdest thing said uh, in this match would be, um, there was a leech on his penis, and then it just got weirder from there. Um, so I, I also think I'm going to agree with you and give it to Brian. I think Brian had a really good argument for Ferris and the benefits of Ferris. I think his counter-argument against Gordy was a little off, but I also think Jacob really didn't build up Gordy enough, so I think I am going to give it to Brian. All right, Doug. Uh, Brian does get the point, but where would you have voted? I would also went with Brian. Uh, I think his attacks uh, and uh, kind of bolstering of uh, Far- Ferris was done a little bit better than Jacobs was. Uh, we'll, we'll leave the colorfulness aside. Um, it was a colorful argument. Uh, yep, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, sweet mercy. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to the next question. Brian does get the first point. We're moving on to question number two, which is in the category of Middle Earth. Uh, Jacob, you drafted this category, so you will be going first. The question is, uh, what is the best place to live in Middle Earth? You have one minute to open when you start talking. So when you think of Middle Earth, you think of peace and tranquility, you think of beautiful scenery. And one of the best places to get that is Rivendell, um, home of, of some of the elves, not all the elves, um, but especially like Elrond, who is one of the more famous elves. Um, that would definitely be the best place to live, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, the food's going to be amazing. Uh, the, the different travelers coming in, just the different stories that, that you'll hear. Beautiful scenery. It's uh, uh, right by right by the Misty Mountains. You're going to get that great view um, on one side, and then you have the plains um, on the other. Just a, a great view. Um, and in the off chance that the orcs do come and take over, you're going to have defense. The, the elves, great warriors, they're going to help defend you. Misty Mountains again on one side. You're not going to have to worry about an attack on the other, so they're only coming at one angle. And they're going to be able to defend it. Okay. Brian, you have one minute. Best place to live in Middle-Earth. So in Middle-Earth, it seems to me there's only one place that could be seen as the best to live, and that is, obviously, the Shire. Um, the Shire is a place that's it's peaceful, it's beautiful, it's got lush green life to it, it's wide open spaces, but it's also full of people, it's full of a, a, t- a tight-knit community of, of very, very jovial people for the most part. Um, they have parties, there's fireworks, there's drinking, there's fun. There's everything you want there. There's there's food. There's seven meals in the Shire. You got breakfast, second breakfast, 11s, luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, and supper. I mean, come on, you can have plenty of food. Um, there's kids around. There's life in the Shire, uh, and you never have to deal with the dangers that have plagued the rest of Middle Earth. You're kind of secluded from that, and you don't have to you don't have to worry about uh, everything else that the rest of Middle Earth is dealing with. The biggest conflict in the Shire is, hey, those are my spoons, or stop eating vegetables that you took from my farm. 
The point being the Shire is a utopia. It's a, a paradise of nature, a place with great people, and a place you can live a long, happy life. All right. Time? All right. All right. It is Rivendell versus the Shire. Five minutes when one of you starts talking. So, Brian, you talk about this close community. Everyone loves everyone. Uh, no, secretly, everybody hates everybody. I mean, when for Bilbo's 111th birthday, literally for his speech, he starts making fun of everybody. That's not a tight, uh, tight-knit community. That's, oh, I, I, uh, I can stand you barely, but I secretly hate you. Well, there were people there that didn't like each other for sure, and yes, in this that scene in particular, he made a point of that. But I mean, Bilbo had Bilbo had his friends, uh, Mary and Pippo, and tight knit. There, there are plenty of people, and, and yes, in any community, you're going to find people you get along with and people you don't. Um, but at least there's people to interact with. When you're in Rivendell, Rivendell is a beautiful place. I'm not going to debate that. Say it's not. It's pretty. It's boring as hell. I mean, you're living amongst the elves. The biggest problem is your neighbors. These are people who are who are stuffy. They're condescending. Every look at you is disapproving. They don't want you to do anything. There's there's no life in Rivendell. Uh, but I mean, if you live with them, they're gonna accept you, and they're not gonna be uh, all snooty. The only time they're snooty are with outsiders. If you're living there, you are not an outsider. But even when they're not snooty, they're they're very they they, they have a way of themselves. It's just very it's very very plain, very calm, very boring. There's no fun. There's no life in the place. I mean, you know what there isn't in in Rivendell? You know you don't see kids. There there's there's no life in Rivendell. You know why you don't see kids? There's no railings in Rivendell. You know how many bridges and stairs there are? It's just a death trap. Come on, do you want to fall off to your death down these deep chasms? Uh, see, fun fact: I am not a child. And while, yes, I love my children, they can get very annoying really quickly. Uh, so you're saying that there's no so kids. That's not necessarily a downfall. I don't want to push them off the you're edge. It's a good place to get rid of them. It might be. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> and this getting dark. Here's, okay. so, yes. I mean, we already talked about leeches on, on balls. So why not? why not talk about death? Here, here's the thing with the Shire. You, know, you talk about its peace and tranquil. There, I mean, it, we haven't seen it yet where it's gotten attacked but there have always been those scares. Whenever the ring race came in, the Shire has no defense. Um, Frodo had to uh, destroy the ring because he knew if he didn't, the orcs were going to take over the Shire. If any bad thing comes, which guess what? There's nothing stopping them from coming. There are no walls. There, there are no big rivers, no mountain ranges. It's just sitting wide open. And if someone comes, you're going to watch them come and you're going to watch them attack you. Well, it's a lot of what if, but the problem it. is it's it's never happened in the history of there. I mean, there's nothing going on. You don't need protection if you're never under attack. You have nothing they want. You're just this peaceful community out here who's living your own life. You don't need an army to protect you because in the whole time, nothing has attacked you. You could say, what if a meteorite hit Rivendell? Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, you don't have defenses for it, but you can't predict that. And and you can't bring in the fact about the about uh, one of the extended editions because that basically a DVD extra. It is not in the official film. That's not an extended edition. Uh, whenever they are uh, in Lothlorien, you, in the theatrical release, Frodo is looking um, at the mirror and it shows him orcs taking down the Shire. That's not extended. That was theatrical. But did that actually happen in the Shire? No, because he got to throw out the ring. If it were to happen, and again, when the ring race came in, again, that was theatrical. Literally, one road down the street, a hobbit pulls up his lantern. Who goes there were his only words, and he died. So 
the the fact that we've never seen an attack happen that's true we've never seen it but we've seen the potential for it and that's one of those you always have to be ready for it to happen because it could always happen but if you're living your life in fear you're never going to live your life and that's the problem with it in the shire people are living their lives in rivendell they're they're preparing for war and they're just kind of being there it's it's rivendell is like a painting it's beautiful one minute life to it and it seems to me i mean if you're lucky on a given day on a really exciting day maybe you get to attend a council meeting ooh i mean what yes you'll be alive there but you're not living I mean, your definition of living and my definition of living are two very different things. I mean, yeah, if I wanted to go party, drink every night, that's the way I'd live. I, I just choose not to do that because come the next morning, you feel like crap. But you, you do have people constantly coming into Rivendell um, traveling-wise. Every time we've been in Rivendell, we've seen we've seen people come in and out. So you're going to hear a lot of stories. You, you, you get to actually experience the world of Middle-earth without leaving with the Shire, no one comes in. In fact, the only people who are in the Shire are the hobbits. The main hobbits that we learn about constantly want to leave. That doesn't sound fun and exciting to me. That sounds like I want to get well, out. Well, as we've established, you want to live your life in a closed room, writing, getting help from Gordy Lachance's yeah. writer's block. So maybe Time. you'd enjoy living there. All right. Brian, you will now have one minute to close your argument. Um, and actually, just for the record, in debate, we will accept stuff in the extended versions as well. We've made that. I might have should have said that, but it didn't come up. So it, now it's come up. You can talk about extended versions if you'd like. Um, but yeah, okay, Brian, one minute. Well, that might have changed my debate entirely. So we'll just pretend that didn't set. Um, okay. Um, so the Shire is a place where where you can live your life and and, and you can enjoy your life. And again. If you want to live your life in fear and worry about building up walls and having the mountains there and having armies there, that's great. But that's that's you're going to be living in fear, and what's the point? Um, in the Shire, you have everything you need to live and enjoy life. You have your food, you have people, you have parties, you have you have children. Um, it, it's it, whereas in uh, Rivendell, uh, it's beautiful, but it's just not a, a place I'd want to live. I mean, there's so many stairs and climbing there. I'd be exhausted just looking at the place. I wouldn't want to leave my house. So yes, I'd probably lock myself in a room and, and, and write because then I wouldn't need to worry about anything. But for me, I want to live in the Shire where it's beautiful and I have people and food and everything I need for a long, happy life. Great. Ending about 10 seconds early on that one. Jacob, you now have one minute to close your argument. All right, so there's a difference between being afraid and being prepared. Uh, never have you seen a prepper like constantly like, ooh, I hope the bombs don't fall. I'm scared to death. No, they're never afraid of it. They never let it dictate their life. They're just ready for if that happens. Exactly the case uh, with what we're talking about. They're not afraid for the orcs to come. They're just ready for when it happens. With the Shire... They're not. They're going to be easy picking. Uh, and the fact that they don't have kids uh, in Rivendell, you don't have to mess with those, those annoying hooligans who try to get into things, like Merry and Pippin um, constantly stealing crops from that farmer. You have to deal with them in the Shire. You have to deal with um, kids yelling, uh, making messes of everything, everything you have to, to deal with in the, in the Shire. With Rivendell, you don't have to mess with that. It's nice, tranquil. The Shire might be a nice vacation spot. Go for a weekend, something like that. But when it comes to actually living, I'd rather live in Rivendell.
time. All right. Let's bring back in the judges. Guys, um, Rivendell versus the Shire Boatman. We'll start with you. Where are you leaning? You know, considering hobbits have big feet, I'm surprised there wasn't another uh, penis reference made. Anyway, I think that uh, <laughs> this was actually uh, a really good debate. I actually uh, like this one. Uh, I think uh, both had good arguments. I'm actually going to go with Jacob on this one. I think he made a better long-term argument for why you would want to live at Reverend, uh, Rivendell, so I'm going to give it to Jacob. All right. Uh, Doug, your vote didn't get to count last time, so we'll go to you next. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually agree with Boatman. I think uh, for a long-term effect, I think uh, I think Jacob kind of hit it right on the nose. It's somewhere that's beautiful, somewhere where you'll feel peaceful at the entire time that you're living there. Um, this was a really good debate. I did enjoy it, but uh, yeah, Jacob didn't get my point for that one. All right, so Jacob does get the point overall. Uh, my vote didn't count, but I actually disagree. I would have gone with Brian. Um, I liked the picture that he painted of uh, just happiness, community, and life uh, at the Shire. Um, I enjoyed that side a lot more, and pretty much everything that he shot at Rivendell, I didn't really hear um, a debate of, for it other than, well, we have defenses and whatnot, and the Shire doesn't. So, um, yeah, So, but that's okay. Jacob still gets the point. It's one-to-one -one as we get into the next question, which is in the category of Marvel slash MCU. So this was a category that uh, Brian drafted. So, Brian, you are going to get to go first on this one. The question is... What X-Men character that hasn't gotten a solo movie could best sustain their own film? Um, Brian, like I said, we're going to start with you. One minute when you start talking. All right. So I'm not just going to pick my favorite character, the one I want to see the most. The question is who could best sustain their own film? Um, we're talking about future films. Uh, the Foxverse is closed unless you're Deadpool, who's kind of in his own world. So we're looking at a new beginning, um, most likely within the MCU. And it seems to me one of the characters best suited to make that transition is actually Rogue. Um, you have to forget everything you know from the previous films. It's not mousy little Anna Paquin. That's not who Rogue is. If you look at other versions of the character in the comics and the cartoons and such, she is a very uh, a boisterous. She's a powerful. She has flight. She has uh, super strength. Um, but most of all, she still has her absorption powers, which which are going to be amazing to watch her is she can do any combination of you know absorbing powers from different villains and, and heroes things like that and making her very exciting but most of all she best sustains a film because she has a great entrance in the mcu for those not familiar she got her powers from carol danvers uh ms marvel also as captain marvel and that's going to create already uh some interpersonal drama some grudges and it's going to make for a very good story which i'll get into it time all right Ryan's pick is Rogue. Jacob, you have one minute to start your argument when you start. All right, so the person that I picked is Aurora Monroe, also known as Storm, uh, played by both Halle Berry and Alexander Shipp. And the reason that she um, would best sustain her own, her own films is because she's one of the head people in X-Men. She's uh, one of the strongest mutants in the X-Men universe. And so having her as the first X-Men uh, introduced, the first mutant introduced, would not only open the door for a series for her, but would also open the door of bringing all the X-Men in. And whenever we finally get 
all the X-Men in, she can be one of those um, uh, main characters that we, that we delve into, you know, kind of like the Avengers. She's going to be one of the heads, heads there. Um, so really because of that, um, because she has really cool power, she's not overpowered. Uh, she has the ability to control, control uh, the weather. I think she'd be the best pick. Uh, to sustain films in the X-Men or in the Marvel Universe. Time. All right. So Storm versus Rogue. Five minutes free form when one of you starts talking. So my problem with Storm is that she doesn't have much of a story before she does join the X-Men. You know her that she she came from Africa, she had this powers. Next thing you know, Professor X recruits her and she's in the X-Men. So as a solo movie, I don't see that she has a whole lot of story to tell uh, unless you're talking about the post-X-Men time. Whereas whereas with Rogue, she has this whole backstory from before she was in the X-Men, where um, not only in her early life when she had, you know, dealt with personal trauma and, and what she does to the people when she touches them and she can't touch people now, to the whole thing, like I said, with Carol Danvers. Now, she got her powers from Carol Danvers, and in this case, she touched her long enough she kept some of those powers permanently. And I think that that, that connection is going to be a perfect doorway to bring her and ultimately the X-Men kind of the kind of first foothold into the MCU. So do we have to, uh, whenever we create their origin story, do we have to go book by book exactly what they say in the comics? Cause I really don't think we do. The comics give the writers um, kind of like hitting points to do, but then they can do their own thing um, as far as like what the character actually does. Uh, Cause I mean, let's be honest, if, if we're just taking the comics and putting them into movies, we're getting rid of the comic book medium, which is already dying. And I, I don't want the comic book medium to die. I want my son to be able to go and, and read comic books. If well, we're just not. bringing that into movies, we're killing off comic books. I don't want to do that. Absolutely not. But you, but they do borrow storylines and they take inspiration from the comic books. And, and they've adjusted time storylines and timelines a bit. And obviously, they'd have to do that here because Captain Marvel is already Captain Marvel. And so it could be something from the past or it could be that meeting in the present. But they do also always take inspiration from those comics. You just want them just making up new backstories for characters that we have grown to love in the comics. You don't want them to change everything. Oh, wait, you know, we forgot to tell you this whole thing about Storm that we're just making up now. Well, I mean, they're not making up stuff. It's stuff we really haven't seen. We can go to Africa, see this girl who can manipulate the weather. Um, everyone there thinks she's a god. She doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't know why she has these powers. And you can you can dwell from there. One thing too, and you know, if you if you take the inspiration of X Men of the movies and get rid of that, everyone's already going to be upset about that. And what we see from Rogue in the movies is all about she hates her life. She wants to get rid of her power. She's not accepting of it. And really, don't we want to teach everyone acceptance with everything going on? We don't want anyone uncomfortable in their body. We want them to say, hey, this is how you feel. It's okay to feel that way. But it's also okay to fear your power and to use that fear to learn that you need to learn how to control your power, which is what her whole story is all about. She has accepted this about her, and she is actually the one who is not being accepted. And so a lot of her story is other people learning that you can get close to her, whether it be Gambit or whoever else, which that's a whole other thing that you can get into later on. But we're just talking about her solo movie now, which the fact that the fact that she uh, she isn't accepted by these people, but she has accepted herself, and she is learning not to fear those powers, but to control that power and to be responsible with it. But again, if you look at the movies, which, and I, I totally get it that, you know, the movies aren't everything, but you're going to have those people who see uh, Rogue in the MCU and then look back at the X-Men movies and just really confused and hate it. 
you're taking someone who was not accepting of their powers and you're just throwing that away. And so it, it's that double-edged sword, exactly what you're saying, where um, the if they're taking this inspiration, creating brand new stuff, it's going to be outrageous just doing movie to movie rather than The problem movies. is you're looking too much back at the Fox universe. And anybody who wants them to continue that Fox universe is going to be sorely disappointed. They're going to be doing a fresh reboot. It's going to be all new X-Men. You need to accept that as a different incarnation. It's like, it's like if uh, the new Batman Christian Bale had nipples on his suit because that's what they had in the old one. I mean, obviously, that's an extreme example. But it's going to be a new iteration. People are going to accept that. I mean, the, there was the cartoon version was very different than the last movie versions. And this movie version one will be minute. different. Uh, but but my thing is, it has Rose's story is just such an instant, perfect connection to the Marvel Universe. It's not just her jumping into the Avengers, but she has a connection with someone who is in the MCU, so you can use that character in her story, much the way much the way they use like a Hulk in a solo Thor movie, or Iron Man shows up in a Spider-Man movie. It can still be a solo movie, but build off these characters, so you instantly feel like part of the universe. Okay, but then how is that going to bring the X-Men into that? Um, because Rogue what was never like one of the founding members members or one of the highest members of X-Men. So you're pretty much just throwing someone in there. Whereas with Storm, you know, you can start building off of the X-Men universe with her, start bringing in more mutants with her. So not only does it bring her solo movies in, but it also brings the X-Men into it. It makes everything mold together. I'm not asking Rogue to start, to start off the X-Men. She's not a founding member of the X-Men, but she will be recruited into it as a later point. Time. Okay. All right. So, um, Jacob, you will be starting with your minute closing. One minute when you start talking. I mean, honestly, with Rogue, she was one of the worst parts of the Fox universe. And I totally understand we want the Fox universe to die. I think the best way to do it is to just let Rogue die with it. Uh, I mean, you have the... Uh, she, she couldn't stand being a mutant. She couldn't accept her life. I don't want my, my kids living in a world like that. I want them to accept them for themselves. Realize that they don't have to fit the world structures. They are themselves and that's okay. She was also really awkward in the movies. The last time I touched a boy, I put him in a coma for three weeks. Just weird stuff like that. And it's, it, it's you're gonna get a new character, but you're still gonna have like those weird things with Rogue because that's just Rogue. With Storm, you're going to have one of the most powerful mutants ever. We're going to be able to see her grow, see her become the girl in Africa being worshipped like a god to one of the strongest people in the Marvel Universe that we have ever seen. Time. All right. Brian, one minute to close your argument when you start talking. So even though you say you're willing to uh, move on from the Fox universe, you're still grasping onto these things, comparing it to the old ones. You need to not do that. This isn't the last one, just like the Spider-Man isn't the last Spider-Man. Um, but we're not talking who's necessarily going to be the best the best uh, start for, for the X-Men. We're, we're looking at who can best suited to carry a solo movie. And so far, I haven't heard a Storm solo movie in, in much pitched in there. I mean, lightning and wind effects can take so far into a story, but we haven't heard much about her story. Um, yes, she's always been a very important member of the team, and she was a leader of the team, but as a lead of a focal character in a solo film, I think she make a pretty bland character. I mean, she's always been very stoic in every version uh, of the film, and 
there aren't a lot of interpersonal relationships, at least nothing that you brought up, that you can build off of. Uh, Rogue fits the bill on every level. There's human drama. There's a limitless range of things you can do with her powers, taking powers from other people, combining them um, for any any number of things. And she's what the X-Men solo film needs to be right now, a doorway in the MCU, and she's perfectly suited. Time. Okie dokie, artichoke. Um, let's bring in the judges. Doug, we're going to start with you on this one. Where are you leaning? Uh, I'm leaning more and more towards Brian. Uh, this was a well-fought debate. Uh, I think Brian hit more on giving me what a rogue movie would look like compared to Jacob. I didn't get a full flush-out picture uh, of what he was trying to go with, with the storm picture. Uh, and I think Brian hit him a little bit more on that note as well. All right, so uh, I'll go next because my vote didn't count last time. I agree. I'm going with Brian. Uh, Jacob did the the Cody coined thing of uh, Cody always saying uh, he he made you fight his fight, and that's exactly what happened. Brian pitched this rogue thing, and Jacob just could not get off of Brian's not liking. I guess what Brian was pitching, I didn't just like kept hammering on Rogue. Uh, but Brian pretty much had a comeback for everything Jacob had. And Jacob also didn't really pitch the movie uh, that we were looking for. So yeah, I give it to Brian. Uh, that means he does get the point. Goes up two one. Boatman, where would you have gone? Yeah, I also would have said Brian. I think Jacob did uh, too much uh, offense, not enough defense. All right. So we are moving on to the fourth question. This is a must hit for Jacob. The question is in the category of comedy. And the question is, who is the best side character in an Adam Sandler comedy? Jacob, you drafted this category. So you are going to go first one minute to open your argument. The best side character, a man brought up in, in humble beginnings, uh, and throughout the movie, he is only there to serve. Um, he never he never tries to, to get anywhere out of where he is because he knows, hey, I'm not here for, for all that higher-end stuff. I, I've been put here to be a servant. I love it. He's accepting of what he does. And he's just an all-around nice guy. I'm talking about Emilio Lopez, played by John Totoro in Mr. Deeds. He is uh, the butler to Longfellow Deeds. He is the butler to um, – I just blanked on the guy's name. But Mr. Deeds' uncle, who passed away earlier. Um, a humble guy. Um, he never, never wants more than what he has. He is just there to help everyone else out. He is the best character. Time. Okay. Move over to Brian. Brian, you have one minute to open. All right. So as I watched some Sandler movies and thought about my picks for this, uh, I discovered there aren't a lot of good side characters in Adam Sandler films at all. Um, many are just punchlines. A lot of them are completely forgettable. But I managed to find one who's not only funny and interesting, but he actually has some depth and reason for being in the film. Um, that is the fire blaster himself, Eddie Plant, played by Peter Dinklage in Pixels. Um, this is a character who actually has a character arc. Uh, things few characters in Sandler movies have, except for sometimes Adam Sandler's character, but definitely not side characters. 
Uh, he starts as an antagonist. He ends as an ally. Uh, he's humbled and has a change of heart. He wants to prove he can he can uh, win without cheating. He wants to, he apologizes and declares Sandler the real champion. Um, and at the end, the dude gets a threesome with Serena Williams and Martha Stewart in the Lincoln bedroom. I mean, the dude's a player. But uh, basically, the fact that uh, he is such a great character, he's so fleshed out. It was just something you don't see a lot in Sandler movies. And so I thought he made for the best side character in a Sandler movie. And time. All right. Uh, the Mr. Deeds guy versus the Pixels guy, whose names I already forget. But uh, you guys have five minutes to debate. Let's do it. Brian, thank you for bringing me the most despicable person ever in any Adam Sandler movie to this argument. Eddie LaPlante, when he was a 10-year-old boy in that video game tournament, he cheated his way into winning it all. Um, even growing up, he is in jail. Uh, whenever uh, you actually get into present day. And then he endangers humanity by cheating in Pac-Man whenever they're in New York City. Like, who cheats in Pac-Man? He is literally the most despicable person we have ever met in a um, Adam Sandler movie. Oh, so he's the most despicable, which means he's memorable and had an impact, um, which is something that Emilio really, really does. It wasn't who's the most likable character. This isn't who is the most respectable character. This is who is the best character, who is who is best formed as a character. Um, Emilio, he's forgettable. I mean, if you look up Wikipedia and IMDb plot synopsis, like I did before I rewatched the movie, just to remember who he was, he, he's mentioned like at the beginning, like, oh, he's the butler. And then at the end, it's like, oh, here, he pops up at the very end for this plot twist. There, there's nothing to this character. Uh, Eddie Plant, um, yes, he, he, is, he is a despicable character in the beginning, but that's the whole point is he has a character arc that Emilio doesn't. Emilio just shows up at the beginning doing his funny accent, you know, saying sneaky, sneaky, like five times in 10 seconds. And then basically he doesn't do much of anything else until the end. Uh, he is constantly there helping out Adam Sandler, making Adam Sandler feel better as a person because that's exactly what he's there for. He's like the perfect wingman. Whereas uh, Eddie Plant, literally the entire time, just vulgar, constantly saying, I want to have a three-way with Serena Williams and Martha Stewart. He, he's the most unlikable guy. He goes from being hated to, yeah, I still hate him. He, he, he doesn't really have that character arc. Whereas Emilio Lopez literally goes from having nothing to being the, the sole owner of the fortune um, that Longfellow gave up because he wasn't. wasn't yes, there's a beginning it. point and there's an ending point, and there's like no arc in between there. It's just suddenly like, oh, okay, now he has money. He's practically non existent for most of the movie, and he's definitely inconsequential, except, yes, he serves Adam Sandler. Like, oh, great. He, he, he's, he's there to listen to him. That doesn't make for a great character. Um, he doesn't do anything until the end of the movie when it's like, it's my money. Okay, I guess I'm rich now. Uh, he is always there when Adam Sandler feels bad about what all's going on. He, he's there to comfort Adam Sandler. He's there to tell him that he is still, um, he's still the guy. He, he's a really good friend, even though he is a butler. You, you say he's not that so, memorable. So he's there. He listens. That doesn't seem to me to make a good character. I mean, if you want a nice, if this is who is the nicest guy, who's the most supportive character, 
sure, go for it. But this is not that. This is who is the best character. And there's there's no arc to that guy. So with, with, with Eddie Plant, he yes, he starts out as despicable. But by the end, he is one of the good guys. I mean, even even later on when he, you find out he cheats, he has his own yeah, change of heart. He's still despicable. He's still despicable. That's your opinion. But again, you said he's the most despicable, which means he's memorable, which means they form a good character. Is Hannibal Lecter a good character? Is he despicable? He is, he is a great character. He's despicable. But that's how it works out because they made it memorable. They gave layers to him, and he has more than just being there listening to someone. Okay. Just because you are the most well-known part of a movie, uh, or well-known doesn't always make you good. Because um, I always remember the feeling of stepping on a sticker or a grasper, whatever you want to call. And I'll tell you right now, that feeling is not good. Uh, that feeling is annoying. Uh, it's a prick in my foot. And that's exactly what you get with Peter Dinklage in in Pixels. It's one of the worst. It's one of the worst movies ever. There's nothing redeeming about it. And Eddie Plant is a horrible character in this movie. You know, when I think of the best, who do I want to be around? And that's why I want to be around Emilio Lopez because he he'll always be the one minute. There, like I had a rough day. He'll be there to massage my feet. Oh, don't worry. You're you're great. You are the you are the best. No one can be uh, better than you. He is there to build you up. Again, best character doesn't mean the most likable. It doesn't necessarily mean the person you want to be around the most. It's it's who makes for the best character, the most interesting to watch in a movie. I mean, Dinklage, I mean, first of all, he's got good taste. The dude wants an island named Edwahi. He, he, he never wants to pay taxes. I mean, this is the dude who walked up to the creator of Pac-Man and told him to his face, I made your game my bitch. I mean, come on. This is okay. Not only is he fun, he's funny, he's interesting. There's more to him than just being there, listening. And no, he's not a nice guy. He's not supposed to be a nice guy. But what he is, is he is a great character. He's an annoying, self-centered punk. That's exactly what he is. Not the best character. The worst character. Time. All right, Brian, we will start with you. One minute to close your argument when you start talking. All right. The question is, who is the best side character in an Adam Sandler comedy? Uh, Pixel's Eddie Plant does what few side characters do. He's entertaining and memorable, yes, but as more than just a funny quote or a punchline, he's the best true, fully formed character that you see in an Adam Sandler movie. Um, especially in a Sandler film, that Dinklage being a little person is never even used as a punchline. It's especially notable because Sandler movies are all about the obvious jokes and mocking physical and mental shortcomings. But here he's just treated as another character and a great character at that who is important to the story. Uh, Mr. Deeds Emilio, on the other hand, can't be the best side character because there's no character there. You said in the beginning that, you know, he's only there to serve. I agree. He is there to serve as a plot device. His character exists for no other reason than to serve as a twist at the end, just a surprise twist doesn't make an otherwise bland movie good. Like, you know, Shyamalan learned that. Uh, in much the same way, uh, a surprise twist doesn't make an otherwise meaningless character good either. So you got to go with Eddie Plant. Time. All right. Uh, Jacob, one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Okay, I'm quickly think, uh, realizing that I think I misread the question. Because the question is, what is the best character? It's not what's the best performance not who had the best character development, it's who is the best character. And when you look at Eddie Plant, he kind of redeemed himself, but he's still a jerk. He still cheated, and he, he wants to have a three-way with Serena Williams and Martha Stewart, and he keeps like, I'm going to have a three-way. Like, he, he's just an annoying character in an annoying movie. Whereas Emilio Lopez, 
He is there to build you up. He's not happy unless you're happy. He is there to make sure if you are having a down day, he is going to make your day better. And he likes rubbing your feet. You, you can't beat somebody rubbing your feet. It makes you feel good. It relaxes you. And most people don't do it because most people don't like feet. He is there to make you feel better. Any plant is the leech on your balls. Jesus. All right, Tyan. Oh, man. Okay. So much feet and ball talk. I, and I don't some know. will call that a bookend. Yeah, I'm right. an adult. Okay. Um, I, I got I to gotta respect him for bringing that full circle. I did like that. Yeah. Thank you. I don't. Uh, All right. I'll start this one. Find a happy place, Caleb. We're not here to please you, Caleb. I'll start Unless you're getting a full rub, apparently. Um, I'm going to go with Brian. Uh, Pixels is an abomination on the planet Earth. Uh, but that being said, uh, based on what the question was, Brian made really strong points about just because the character is unlikable doesn't make them a bad character. Um, and he painted a very full picture of what this character is from beginning to middle to end and how they impact the story and how they impact uh, the jokes in the movie and everything. Um, so I got to go with Brian Boatman. We'll go to you next. You know, Tim, uh, okay. Uh, so I think I'm also going to give it to Brian, uh, because I think it's clear Jacob was kind of arguing the roommate question again. I don't think he was really arguing best character. He was arguing character you'd most want to be around. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Brian actually gave a really good argument about Peter Dinklage's character in Pixels, which means he put way too much thought into the movie Pixels, so he should be ashamed of himself. But uh, he gets the point. All right. Well, that means your winner by way of knockout, Brian Michaels, uh, Doug, you didn't get to vote on that last question. How would you have gone? Uh, all I want to know is, Brian, was Pixels worth watching again? Because I really, I, I pity that. Uh, no, Brian, uh, Brian would have got my point. Uh, I, I think he fought better to the question. Uh, and I think he stayed better with, uh, attacking what, uh, what Jacob brought to the table. All right, so uh, with that, like I said, Brian is the winner today by way of knockout. Uh, let's start uh, with talking with Jacob. Jacob, unfortunately, match didn't go your way today. How are you feeling after your debut match? I'm still good. Um, about 30 minutes ago, I realized, hey, when the question is best character, it's not asking, like, who is the best character? Uh, it's best character development, stuff like that. Um because I really was like, Eddie Plan is a douche of a character. Um, and then rereading all that stuff, I'm like, crap, I completely misread that. No, um, this was fun. I got to watch Stand By Me, which I haven't watched ever. I finally got to watch that. That's a good movie. Um, that's one thing I really love about the, the movie debate stuff is movies that have just skipped me um, for whatever reasons. I actually have a reason to sit down and watch them now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
We will. Uh, unfortunately, this means you're out of the tournament. But um, if you are interested, we will have you back later, probably at the beginning of next season for a uh, losers tournament. But um, it was nice to have you today for this match. Let's move over to Brian. Brian, you said at the beginning you were nervous about coming in today. Then you said a lot of scary things that uh, hurt my soul, and you won with a KO. How are you feeling? The third KO of the season. How are you feeling? Um, I needed to get the KO because I suck in speed rounds. So uh, <laughs> give me give me time to prep and I can do okay. If you give me a speed round, I'm probably gonna lose the lose the match. Um, but yeah, I had fun. I watched 100% more Adam Sandler movies than I ever want to have to watch. Um, so you know, thanks for that. Uh, but uh, now we're past it. So move on to the next thing. Yeah. So the next thing is you will be playing the uh, winner of Ryan O'Regan and RJ, uh, Renee Villarreal. So um, how are you feeling about that? Either of those people uh, you interested to debate against? What do you think? Um, uh, I don't know if I really have a preference. Um, uh, I know a lot of RJ's tastes. I don't really have a finger on the pulse of Ryan, so I'm curious to see what he'll, what he'll pick for categories. But uh, either way, I'm looking forward to it. Again, I just got to hope I don't have to get to the speed round. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, wrap this thing up lastly by talking with the judges, Boatman, overall impressions of the match today. You know, Tim, I, I try to be a good admin. You know, you send me a message saying, hey, can you uh, judge this uh, fan zone debate? And I say, yeah, sure, totally. And then this is what you give me, Tim. This is how I'm repaid. It's fair. So you liked the match. Help. Doug, let's move over to you, Doug. Uh, this is, uh, what do you think of the match overall? Uh, it was good. Uh, there's a lot of things that were said in this match where we should probably censor some things uh, to just, to, you know, not have people say things that are mean on comments uh, and keep everybody happy. That's how I feel. Uh, the, the views of uh, Brian Michaels, Jacob E. West, Douglas Castle uh, do not represent the uh, the views and opinions of Multiplex Entertainment and its admins. Okay, uh, well, so this was this all in all was absolutely a great match. Uh, we had a lot of fun here today. Thank you guys for watching. Um, we will be back in two weeks with Ryan O'Regan versus RJ to find out who will be going up against Brian Michaels. So stay tuned for that as this debut tournament continues. So. Once again, for Jacob and Brian, for Doug Boatman and myself, and for a brief moment there when I was breaking down Cody Newberry, this has been FanZone. Thank you guys so much for watching. We will see you guys next time with another debate.